Hey, I am so glad that you're joining me in the honest conversations about all things family. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor and a mom. Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. This is going to be a place for us to be real about the mess of parenting. Um, It's a place for you to feel validated and to find some self-compassion and some hope for the road ahead. Let's stand in the mud together because personally I think that is the absolute best place to start. Michelle has her own uh, counseling practice here in Cloverdale, BC called Heart Counseling Services, and I'll put her information in the show notes if you'd like to learn a bit more about her from her online profile. Uh, She began working with couples using the Gottman Couples Therapy approach about five and a half-ish years ago. Uh, She's completed Gottman Level 3 training and also has training in trauma and addictions. And she's also a certified bringing baby home educator through the Gottman Institute. And she's currently working toward her full Gottman certification. This woman knows what she's talking about. So I'm excited to have this conversation with her today. Okay, so welcome back, part two. Michelle's back with us again. And last time we talked a bit about the foundational skill set that Gottman's work offers couples in therapy and and in between therapy, what we do to communicate and to strengthen friendship. Um, And today we're going to target a little bit about when the road gets bumpy. So when wounds have happened, when dynamics are formed that are not ideal. Mm -hmm. And I know Gottman's research has a lot to say about which dynamics are more problematic and tend to lead to not great endings in relationships as opposed to Mm. those that are able to sort themselves out and and shift. So that's our goal for today. So um, can you talk a little bit about when people are establishing commitment levels, you know, either whatever that looks like for people. So it might be like, we're going to take this significant step. We're ready to move in together. Or, you know what, we might, you know, we're engaged. We're looking forward to a new chapter. We're going to merge ourselves in terms of like how we live and our family life and, and all of that. Um, Because commitment is really no joke, right? It's like, it's not a small thing to make to take that step. Mm-hmm. Um, so even when it's exciting and we're all jazzed about it and it's stuff we're celebrating and it's fun to take those steps in your relationship. But how can you give us like this, uh, just a bit of a journey of like what phases of relationship look like? Um, commitment. Yeah. So just based off of um, John Gottman's research and what he says himself, he talks about Uh, the three phases of love. And these are something that we all experience. And I I can't put like a specific, like time frame on how long each of these phases will be for for each couple. But the first one is really, it's the falling in love phase. So the chemicals in your body are are going crazy. And you, um, you really feel like you're falling for this other person. And it's, you know, our body doesn't respond to just anybody. It's, you know, Gottman says the person that we select has to smell right, feel right, look right, and be just right in our arms. And then Hmm. 
the cascade will start. Um, and then, so they talk about, you know, um, phenylethylamine, I think I'm saying that right. Um, it's like, it's spell it. You put in brackets here, like after this long word, P-E-A, so we can I'll stick it. it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to Google that. Yeah. Okay. If I spell that, it's a long word. Um, but it's basically like it's a natural form of amphetamine in um, that our bodies produce. And huh. some people call it the molecule of love. Um, pheromones influence sensuality, not yeah. um, sexuality. Um, and it creates this feeling of well-being and comfort. Um, oxytocin is emitted. And so it's like the cuddle hormone and it compels us to get close to other people. Hmm. Um, this, it's like this feeling of, of falling in love is like also accompanied by poor judgment. So (laughs) you don't say, (laughs) right. So in this first phase of love, people will ignore red flags that they would, um, that they would notice and that they would, you know, inevitably have to confront in phase two of love. Yeah. So this is like, you might have noticed, um, you might see somebody in a new relationship and people are saying like, uh, you know, I don't know. Like there's, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. things that are like concerning me about this situation. And the person who is in this stage of love will just be like, whatever. You know, like, I don't know what you're talking, you're crazy. Like this person is gold, you know? Yeah. So, so this phase of love is like an important part of being drawn and attracted to somebody. And it's great. Yeah. But we need to keep going if it's going to actually become something. Um, so the second phase is about building trust. And Gottman says, there's some big questions in this phase. Um, will you be there for me? can I trust you? Can I count on you to have my back? And um, Mm. yeah, so Gottman has this thing called the Love Lab down in Seattle. And it's basically, it's this apartment that they have where they've had hundreds and hundreds of couples come in and they assess the relationship. And when they, like they measure their, um, their, skin conductance, their, their oxygen levels, their heart rate. Um, they even look for stress hormones in their urine and they also like record their, um, communications and conflicts just, and they, they assess them and kind of figure out what's going on in the dynamics between the, in the couple. And he says that the source of all of the conflicts that the newlyweds had in the love lab were about these questions. So, okay, say the questions again. So it's, will you be there for me? Okay. Can I trust you? Yeah. And can I count on you to have my back? Okay. And whatever the answers are to those questions, um, he says, is the basis of a secure or insecure attachment in the relationship. So, like, part of building trust is about how do we, how do we actually manage conflict? How attuned are we to each other? And so like this phase of love, you're going to feel frustrated, exasperated, disappointed, sad, furious. Like um, Gottman says, the majority of fighting in a relationship happens in the first two years. So, So this second phase is early on in the relationship and like sets the stage. You know, so I'm not saying that 
there's no conflict down the road because every couple has conflict. Yeah. Together. Yeah. How long sure. been together, no matter yeah. if you're a therapist or not. Um, but it's like, how do we argue? How do we work through um, yeah. the conflict? How attuned are we to our partner? Um, and- so it's almost like training ground, right? Yeah. So training period. Like there's all these life throws all these opportunities at us constantly about what doesn't jive and mm-hmm. what we see and the flags come up. Yeah. But then that, that phase sounds like that's the training period of mm-hmm. like, okay, how do we manage it when these things come up? We yeah. get better at that over time, hopefully. Yeah. Right? Like that's the idea. Absolutely. And like Gottman, Gottman uses this um, acronym around the word attune. So the first A is for awareness of your partner's pain. Am I even paying attention? Um, The second um, letter T is for tolerance, tolerating that there are two valid viewpoints in negative emotions, common experiences. Um, The second T is, do I turn toward my partner's need? Um, you is for trying to understand your partner and oh my gosh, that is super key. Oh, yeah. And yeah. hard. And hard when you're uh, at yourself. Uh, yeah. N, N is for non-defensive listening, which is also super hard. I was going to say they're getting harder. Okay. <laughs> really hard. Even harder. Yeah. yeah. I'm scared of E. <laughs> it's E. e drum roll. Um, e is uh-huh. for empathy. So can I have empathy for my partner? And like, those are, you know, how we do conflict, how we like lean into those things, how attuned we are to our partner. This is all like this really significant trust building phase of the relationship. And like that sets the stage for what you were mentioning before is like commitment. So phase three is about building commitment and loyalty. So, um, do we cherish each other? Do we nurture gratitude or do we nurture resentment for what we think we're missing? Um, it's, you know, Gottman says this third phase is about making a deeper love last a lifetime or slowly nurturing a betrayal. Wow. You know, like it really, like which direction are which we? Which track? Yeah. Like where are we intentionally going here? You know, like, um, when when we are making such a massive commitment to be with somebody, uh, it just makes so much sense to me that we pay attention to to like the effort we're making here. Like mm-hmm. I think about the commitment that I'm able to make binge watching Netflix shows. <laughs> Oh yeah, especially during COVID, right? Right. Uh, okay, so if I can put that, I am so time, committed, right? If I can put that kind of time into Grey's Anatomy, um, easy peasy. You know, like, yeah. like, can I put some time and commitment into this relationship that I want? Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm highly committed to eating chips out of a bag. There you go. <laughs> yeah, just no problem there. No problem there. No problem. Try to get me to stop that. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. So those are those are like the the three uh, phases that that Gottman uh, refers to. Um, I I find like I get really excellent additional information beyond the training I have and beyond the books that I read in um, going to the Gottman Institute website. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So there's excellent articles and videos there. And I also find it's helpful to follow them on Instagram or Facebook. And there's these little like lovely bits of encouraging information for couples with their relationships as well. So. I'm also putting in the show notes, I'll tag that too there. Um, I'm also going to include a link to um, finding the free Gottman card deck app. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. I use that every once in a while, pull that out of my back pocket and say, let's do some questions. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the card deck app is really cool because it used to be that only therapists could purchase the card decks and yeah. we didn't have as many card decks as they've included in the, the app and the app right. is free. So I, I love that they've um, put the Gottman card decks as a free app for couples. To yeah, me too. Really it's great. Them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Can you like, like we were talking about, patterns are inevitable because we get on these human tracks of direction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we do dances with each other, emotional communication dances. Of yeah. we get we get in a rhythm and we kind of follow what's expected mm-hmm. down a certain path. So, can you talk a bit about when things are longer term in relationships? What types of patterns develop? Mm. that you that you've seen either in the therapy room or what Gottman talks about as as dynamics or patterns and yeah okay I think what you might be talking about is the four horsemen of the apocalypse that that Gottman refers to and um so in all of his research on couples it it's um he's realized that these four patterns of communicating with each other can lead to the demise of the relationship if they aren't like put in check. Um, I talk to couples about like, which horse might you be riding right now? <laughs> and how do we get off the horse? And do Get you off your horse. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it's sort of like a, we begin sort of like with the first horse. And then if, if the relationship, if we don't like manage and get off these horses, it's going to progress to this place that um, will lead inevitably to divorce or separation in the couple, because we can't tolerate these long term, like, especially if it's like a, like persistent patterns of these. Um, So the first horse is uh, criticism. And it is seen in communication when people use you language, um, overgeneralizations, blaming, um, so you always, you never, you're so right. lazy, like that kind of, those kind of comments um, and the critical tone. Um, Gottman says like the message that we are giving to people when we criticize them is you are defective and people don't respond well to that. Like, and they shouldn't. Shocker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I personally love being told I'm defective. Right. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, ouch. Yeah, super ouch. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my clients will say, but I'm just being like constructively critical. It's just constructive criticism. And we've, you know, Gottman had heard a lot of that from clients as well. So they did some specific research on constructive criticism. And the results were that it just lands as criticism. So it's not a good, it's not good to be using in your relationship. It's it's not valid to say it's okay because it's constructive criticism. We have to communicate differently. So uh, the antidote 
um, to con uh, criticism is called the softened startup, which you, I think, had referred to in our last meeting. Mm -hmm. And the softened startup is sort of like this, like, there's about four points to it. So the first part of it is to use some I language and talk about an emotion you feel. So I feel frustrated um, is an example uh, versus I think or I feel like when people start statements like that, it's really talking about what you think or believe, not what you're emotionally feeling. Okay. So talking about your emotion is a softer, more vulnerable place to begin a conversation. Yeah. Um, the second part is what is this about, right? Like, so we are allowed to have complaints. We are allowed to not be okay with a situation. We are not allowed to be critical or attack our partner. So I could say I'm feeling frustrated about the, the dishes on the counter. I'm not allowed to say I'm feeling frustrated because you're a lazy so-and-so <laughs> can't get your shit together. You know, like that's not going to, not going to work. Right. So it's like about this, I'm going to bring up one thing and I'm going to try to make it about the issue between us, not about who my partner is. Gotcha. So I feel frustrated about the dishes on the counter. And then the third part is to state a positive need. So it would be great if you could load the dishwasher. I need you to load the dishwasher. I'd really love it if you could load the dishwasher. So okay. Stating so it's a re the request is okay at that point. The request is okay. Like if okay. I tell you what I do need, it gives it gives your partner like the opportunity to like meet this need and make things right with you. Uh -huh. Maybe they can meet that need. Maybe they can't. But like the idea is to state it in a way that you've done your best, right? right. Um, personally, I find um, I struggle with this because I know what I don't want. <laughs> what you, <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah. I know what you had better not do. Um, I don't want you to leave the <laughs> shit on the counter. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Which yeah is feeling. Like there's no movement there, you know, like right. I, if I stated in this like negative way. So that's why, Gottman very specifically has says state a positive need. And then the last part, which is sort of like this little bonus part is to give an appreciation. If you can, you know, easily think of a time your partner met this need. So uh, an example of this could be like, when I come home and the counter is clear, cause you put the dishes in the dishwasher. It really makes me so happy. I feel mm -hmm. like calmer and I notice that is like a nice little soft bit on the, on the end of what you've brought up with your partner, this complaint. Um, I tell people, if you can't easily think of a time your partner has met this need, maybe they never have, you can't think of it. Yeah. You yeah. Can, That's can, not the one to start with. Yeah. Like you can future forward it. So you could say something like, I know I'd really appreciate it if you could do that. Right. I can imagine myself loving that. Yes. Yeah. So it's, easier said than done in real life. Uh -huh. um, so it takes some practice and it does help to kind of like very intentionally go through, like hold the sheet with each of those points and to like walk your way through it. It also yeah. helps if your partner knows how hard you're trying to communicate in a better way without, you know, being critical. Mm -hmm. So that is the, the antidote to criticism 
as well as contempt. So that's part of the antidote there as well. Okay. Um, are you cool if I keep talking? Yeah. So contempt, criticism. Yeah. So we start with criticism. That's the first okay. horse. And then the second horse is defensiveness. Yeah. And defensiveness is really usually a response to anticipated criticism or actual criticism, right? So yeah. usually it's like, oh, how dare you? Uh-huh. And then we uh, are like, this is not fair. And then we launch a counterattack. And now we're ping-ponging back and forth, being critical and harsh with yeah. each other, right? So the hard thing with um, defensiveness is the antidote is to take responsibility or at least some part of the situation. And for me, my ego really gets in the way. I don't want to admit when I've screwed up, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So this is not the time. We're talking about what the issue I have with you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like if, if, you know, I was the one that was supposed to load the dishwasher and I didn't do it, I might have 10 good reasons why I didn't load the dishwasher and I have them locked and loaded to defend myself. Absolutely. Right? Rational. Yeah. And justifying my personal integrity. But it's not really helpful to a partner who's feeling frustrated about the issue. So it's, you know, to be non-defensive and to take responsibility could be like, you know what? I did say I was going to do that and I'm sorry I didn't do that. Ah. And then just keep it tight. Like, just stop. It absorbs it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that's the second horseman or second horse. Um, And then the third horse is contempt. And contempt is sort of like taking criticism up a level. It's like, not only am I critical of you, but I feel like righteous and superior to you. And so we see contempt in uh, different behaviors and mannerisms. So eye rolling, sneers, um, sarcastic comments. Um, I find myself kind of like chicken necking if I'm contemptuous and um, saying things like, how hard is it? You know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like contempt is um, the single biggest predictor of relationship breakup in both um, heterosexual and gay couples. And it's, Gottman says it's like pouring sulfuric acid on the love of the relationship. It's just awful. Yeah. So damaging. So damaging. So like the biggest antidote for contempt is to keep building that fondness and admiration for your partner. So if I am feeling contemptuous of my partner, I need to like stop. Anytime I feel better than my partner, I am like, I'm in contempt. I need to like remind myself of like, what are those qualities about my partner that I love and admire and how they're so great. And stop myself from going down this train you know that this down this track that's like super unhelpful for the relationship um and then i had mentioned before stop and start is like another part of this if you're upset communicate a complaint not an attack on your partner's character Mm -hmm. and and also not bringing it up in a way where you act superior or self-righteous the fourth horseman is stonewalling so when people are really struggling to communicate in the relationship and they get overwhelmed and the conflicts get intense people get flooded they get overwhelmed and they shut down they put up mental and emotional walls they you know we see it more often in men 
um, trying to like ride out the storm of the fight. Like, just like if I just don't make eye contact, like right, yeah, duck and cover, just let it go. Just, yeah, yeah, and yet it like actually creates more intensity because the person who feels shut out feels panicked, angry, distressed, frustrated, and they're like going to come over and knock on those walls. Like they're dismissed. Yeah, they're yeah. going to be louder about it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so real the antidote to stonewalling, oh, I should mention, when women start stonewalling in their relationship, it's usually a sign that the relationship is close to the end. Whoa. Yeah, because in general, women don't stonewall um they'll they'll persist in trying to communicate for for longer Uh, and that's and all of that so yeah i haven't heard that before okay makes sense yeah so the the antidote to stonewalling is actually to take a break and take care of yourself so that you can feel calm and then you can try again in the in the conversation yeah so it's like we don't want to beat people up for having a hard time. We don't like, you know, like yeah. we don't want to shame people. Like we want to acknowledge, like we've been socialized in different ways. Our, the biology of our body is that if we feel overwhelmed, mm-hmm. our brain might hit the red button and now we're in a fight, flight or freeze kind of a mode. So, yeah. so we, we're just kind of like acknowledging those pieces and that we sometimes need a break. Have a yeah. few minutes if we're not too flooded, or we we need twenty to thirty minutes to calm if we're like properly flooded, and then we come back and we try again. I see, and that piece is so interesting to me because a lot of conversations I have with couples about this piece, mm-hmm. the threat that I that they feel coming mm-hmm. back in conversation with me about it, yeah, but he won't come back to the conversation. Yeah, right. Like I don't. So that's why people often try and hold the mm-hmm. conversation like um, don't walk away from me oh, because yeah. if you do I don't believe like this is I can't tolerate this mm-hmm. being undone for forever and then building up in resentment and then adding to the next argument right yeah. so I've often asked couples to if you're going to utilize that mm-hmm. please make a request and a plan before you walk away yeah. of when you'll return to the conversation and attempt again because exactly that just gives enough of a soothe for the upset action person (laughs) to be reassured that, okay, I can wait for an hour. I just can't wait for a year. Yeah. Or 10 years, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 It's, you're so right that couples um, need to have a conversation when they're not in conflict, when they're not flooded about like, what are we going to, how are we going to manage this? So, some couples have a code word. I mean, yes. it could be, you know, artichoke or it could be yeah. Yeah. whatever it is. And and if somebody says artichoke or your code word, then you just automatically get half an hour to go distract yourself and try to calm and soothe yourself. Yeah. Um, and then the agreement is that, you know, ish, you know, half an hour later, you're going to come back and you're going to check in on each other. Yeah. How are you doing? Do you need a little bit more time? Right. And like that whole piece there, like this is like rebuilding some trust that has been damaged um, because it hurts so much for both partners in that situation. It's hard for both people. And um, I think too about how many, uh, how many people have 
you know, histories of rejection or abandonment, different types of trauma. And so if somebody is silent, that can be triggering for them. If somebody walks away, that can be triggering. If somebody's voice elevates, that can be triggering. If somebody stands over, like there's all these different parts that, you know, can be even harder for us as people because of our, you know, what Gottman calls our enduring vulnerabilities. Mm. Um, So, you know, when we're not in conflict, if we can have this like plan in place, if we are developing more compassion for each other and for ourselves, like, well, oh my gosh, no wonder this is so hard for me. This is what happened with my mom or with my dad or with my last partner or whatever it is, you know? That insight is so helpful, hey? When you can see it in yourself and you recognize there's layers to this, it's not all about this dynamic Yeah. and what's been built into this. It's what this dynamic pokes at Mm -hmm. from my past, yeah. And for partners to have an insight into that, knowing like when I say things with this tone of voice or this look on my face yeah I've learned to recognize that their reaction back to me is not all about me mm-hmm. it's about their dad used to look at them like that and what followed was not so good right like yeah that's so helpful for people to recognize that it yeah mm-hmm. wow. yeah I think there's this there's this place of having compassion for our partner and for ourselves and for the hard things that we've gone through and we don't get to treat people in terrible ways because we've been through bad yes. things. We have to take care of ourselves. Yeah, we need to take yeah. care of ourselves. And part of like healing from that is intentionally uh, changing how we are in the world and how we are with other people. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the Gottman skills are really practical and helpful for applying and then sometimes people need some extra support to to work through some of the trauma that they've have that has been so triggering for them you know yeah mm-hmm. wow I want to go out with a bang mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna I've let's, saved let's the, do it the hardest for last okay okay big damage mm-hmm. wounds and betrayal things yeah. like affairs just mm-hmm. at the root something's been cut you know yeah what do you do with that from a gotten perspective in a therapy session how do you reorganize that with couples yeah often when there's been a betrayal an emotional or a sexual affair um in Gottman's research, they both count as damaging as the other. Yeah. Um, it's we we actually recognize that the sound relationship house has been shattered. Like the trust is shattered. People don't necessarily know if they can commit to trying or staying or building a new a new relationship with this partner after the betrayal. Um, yeah. But there's a few there's a few pieces that have to happen. Um, it can be tough for a couple because they're in the middle of this crisis, and I still need to gather information about the the, the relationship history. I need to know, so I still need to go through the process. It might be a little bit um, revised because we're talking more about the betrayal that has occurred as well. 
but I still need to go through that process of getting to know the couple and giving them feedback. And, and then we know that we have to move right into dealing with the betrayal that has occurred. And the Gottman framework for a fair recovery is, it's like this really well laid out process of um, the triple A. So we need to first work through atonement. So atoning for what has, has gone wrong, what the betrayal has been. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a, a process where um, I support both partners in talking about what has happened the the idea for me again is like I'm trying to support building a brand new relationship and I there's not shaming that is happening um we are looking for support for so that the person who has betrayed their partner I support them in being able to tolerate hearing their partner's pain and their sadness and their anger without allowing for attacks to happen so that's like really hard when you that's are, hard work yeah you're shattered you're pissed off you're yeah. like, there's so much happening and so like I support the betrayed partner in communicating how yeah. they are impacted how how they are you know possibly experiencing um, PTSD from the betrayal no doubt yeah right and also helping the couple to work through the questions that the betrayed partner has for the person who has betrayed the betrayer. And so that's like a really vulnerable place for both partners, you know? And one of the things that I think is important is, you know, I don't think that because somebody betrayed their partner, they are like a bad person. Like I have seen time and again, like really great, lovely people make really bad choices and decisions and then you know what are they going to do like to either like build a new relationship with their partner they betrayed or not you know yeah so I want to I want to say that because a lot of times the person who has betrayed their partner is Mm -hmm. also scared of me like what am I how am I going to make them feel about this right so so it's really about like what is happening between the two? And then, so working through that part. And so then it's like, we go through a tone and then we like try to build again, some sense of attunement between the couple. And so like, there's a whole process um, of working through different Gottman skills in that. And then we move on to attachment. So how can we help this couple um, feel more securely attached again with each other? Um, yeah, so it's like it can be an intense process, but you know, Gottman's Gottman's research shows that I think it's 80 per, 86% of couples, I might have that percentage wrong, but I think it's 86% of couples who go through the process stay together. Yeah. Holy. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. yeah. And then it, I think it's 50 something percent of couples will stay together even if they don't go through the process. But I kind of honestly wonder what the yeah what's that like that relationship is right like couples who you know I am definitely going to be clear here that I will never tell somebody that they should stay if there's been a betrayal and I will definitely never tell somebody that they have to leave have to go 
yeah. right? Like each, yeah. each couple is so complicated. It's complicated. And, you know, until you kind of go through that, you might have a really strong opinion about it. And then when you're in the middle of it, you're like, oh, uh-huh. okay, this is not so cut and dry as I exactly. thought it would be. Um, but, you know, couples who are able to go through the process can find a you know, the relationship will be different than it was before. And as painful as it has been, there's some air, some ways that it actually might be um, a deeper relationship than it had been in the past, just because of all they've gone through to try to build a new relationship together. There's so yeah. much vulnerability through that process. Yeah. Yeah. Well outlined. I think that gives a picture because I think that's not the work that we often get to hear how that goes for people. Mm -hmm. Like we might know about a couple who makes a decision to just separate, you know, something really horrible happened and just it dissolved and, but we don't get kind of the like, Mm. what it should look like to walk through healing. Yeah. That's a lovely frame to yeah. kind of picture how that can actually take root again mm-hmm. when there's been some real rupture and damage yeah. done. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's important work. And I think there's, there's so many couples who, even though the betrayal is devastating to them, yeah. they've got reasons why they, they want to try to, see what yeah there's something still connecting yeah yeah Yeah. and for so many couples they're they've built this life together they've you know they maybe have children together and that might be you know the impetus for them to want to see what can be done um whether they will stay together or not to they can recover from the betrayal Mm -hmm. yeah when you talk about um Things like the compassion, the bringing it back to the relationship dynamic. It's not about shame or blame. It's it's never helpful. We don't grow out of those states, right? And just how you use this method to help sustain just the walls of the space, you know, like we're, we're in the mess together. It's bigger than it than just one thing right and how do we how do we weave in and out of some of the hard stuff while keeping keeping a sense of hope keeping Mm -hmm. a sense of commitment a sense of learning about one another to just to detect what the future might look like but just yeah the painting of safety in Mm -hmm. the process Mm -hmm. um, leaves me feeling really hopeful for couples that walk through this particular approach and process with someone like yourself who can help facilitate that you know it's Mm -hmm. so tender it's so tender it is and you know what I what I typically see is two very devastated people yeah two people in a lot of pain and really scared and feeling like they're in a free fall and they they're desperate to find some some support so that they can move their way forward in some way yeah whatever direction that whatever takes. direction that takes yeah. them in right yeah. but yeah I I I just feel so much compassion for these couples who are struggling so 
so hugely, you know? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing last week and this week. I, it's just so helpful to sit in this conversation with you and to draw some of this out. And I'm, I'm, I'm so hopeful that this offers some helpful information for couples who, you know, as we're putting this out there during the month of February, which a lot of people then kind of get clued into thinking about their relationship and, you know, around Valentine's Day and what we have and what we're missing and just reinvesting and just hopeful that this uh, offers something to them. So thank you for your time. It's been so good. You to are talk to very, you. very welcome. I have thoroughly enjoyed talking about all of my experience as you know doing Gottman couples therapy, and I wish you all the best. Hey, thank you. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Next week, if you join in, you are going to hear me talk a bit about bringing baby home. As a bringing baby home course educator um, who's had all their courses put on hold because we can't gather in groups during COVID-19, some of the skills that we've been talking about with Michelle in the last two episodes um, are used to structure uh, and scaffold the strength of couples' relationships during what can be the stormiest phase of who we are in relationship to one another. And that is how do we become parents? Um, How do we walk through those early years of nurturing a new little one while holding on to our uh, and prioritizing our couple's relationship. So we're going to take a hard look at that next week. If you are about to be new parents or have little ones, uh, that's going to be an episode you're going to want to tune in for. So I'll talk to you then. Don't forget to take a look at today's show notes where you'll find related resources and my letter from the trenches. If you're wanting to know a little bit more about my work, please subscribe to my living room learning page at my.thrive-life.ca forward slash LRL series. I'll be able to keep you posted on new tools and resources that I put out in the world, and it'll allow us to get to know one another a bit better. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook where I share links to my projects, offer up free tools to support you and your family, And I keep things real from a parenting perspective. Standing shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in the mud. Let's talk again next week.